0: Topia tonight. Get the fuck out of town.
1: <laughs> hey right. what's up how are you thank you for Good. having me
2: thanks for coming on Glad uh did we have we ever did we ever meet before because i i don't i feel like i would have remembered. no
0: clue <laughs> no i know
2: clues. <laughs> I, I know exactly i feel the same. i i don't see that there's any reason why we wouldn't have but i also i mean you know who knows
1: Well, there's Um, so many comedians now, like you just, mm -hmm. there's, you know, you can't remember every person unless you have a personal interaction or you happen to be in the room when they're on stage, you know what I mean? Because sometimes like there's so many new comedians coming up, you'll be in a room and you're like, fuck dude, I don't know who's a comedian or who's the (laughs) audience. Like, I don't know. You know?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they also just happen to look like the dudes who are working the room too, who are also sometimes comedians. And you're just like, Oh, I'll give you a hint though. I'm the one with hair. I feel like not a lot of comedians, <laughs> male comedians have any hair left, which is what I keep yeah, hearing all the time, true. Um, which true. I just I'm just going to jinx myself at this point. But hopefully it sticks around. I don't know. Um, so what uh, I loved the comedy store documentary that you were in. Um, did you did were you part of that whole process, like putting it together or like did it hit during co- like did your stuff hit when COVID hit? Was there a delay for that? Like what was.
1: Oh, uh, he filmed it. Cause I think he uh, tinkered on it for uh, a bit. So that was all filmed pre COVID. And mm-hmm. then, unless um, uh, maybe some of the wraparound stuff uh, was okay. filmed at the very beginning, but um, yeah, he's a great guy. I'm, I'm glad that it was made and got to see people represented in it that uh, mm-hmm. you don't normally always see. And so's, was a good time you know he knew what he was asking he knew the right questions because sometimes you you people do a comedy documentary and you're like you have no idea you know what i mean but (laughs) uh no obviously he came up through that comedy store system as a young man in the 70s so he or early 80s late 70s so he knew what he was doing
2: yeah, that's one of the way uh, I love when comedy documentaries are done by comics, or uh, at least like there's another guy. Um, do you know uh, the author Richard Zoglin? Ooh. his name is Richard Zoglin, and he was he he had a book called um, Oh my god, I'm gonna fucking forget the name now. But it was uh, it was a comedy book that came out a few years ago. But he was one of the um, one of the reporters i guess around at the time during the comedy store when the improv were really big like when oh, they the Oh, yeah, yeah. the strike
0: yeah yeah when the strike
2: was going yeah when the strike was going yeah. Out, yeah and that was cool too like whenever it's somebody who's been like around it a lot or just personally involved in it i always find like it's 10 times better than when it's like uh somebody who's just winging it because they get
1: all comedy. the nuances they understand all the players and how important each little part of the puzzle is you know
2: yeah And one of the things I loved and I thought the timing was great too, because it did hit during the pandemic, was like there was all this talk about whether comedy was gonna, you know, survive the pandemic. And then when you watch that documentary, you just see decade after decade of people going, Comedy's dead, it's back, it's dead, it's back
1: (laughs) You know Right, right.
2: So it was cool to see.
1: during the pandemic, I don't know why people bitch so much about Zoom shows, because they served a purpose. I mean, it's, it wasn't mm-hmm. my favorite thing to do, but it certainly served a purpose in just keeping the gears grinding, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it did serve. I've, I know exactly what you mean. They weren't my, Tom can attest to this, they weren't my favorite thing. I uh, got uh, convinced, I didn't get convinced to do one, well, but I misunderstood what was going on. That We did a charity gig, and this dude who donated the most money got to have his favorite comics from the event like a and, a and a special thing for you know him like to put on a show <laughs> but i thought it was just gonna be people shooting the shit and then tom and i were talking and he's like hey you got uh, a set to do in eight minutes and i was like no i don't <laughs> he's like yeah you do
0: <laughs> and i was yeah. like fuck
2: and then but it was it's you know they were fun and you're right that was cool too because comedians i feel like um i don't know how it's gonna pan out now that everything's opening up again i feel like uh all the assholes are, are digging their way back out of the dirt but um it just felt like we are the ones that survived while every other business kind of failed <laughs> and it's like oh without us i guess you're not so much but
1: right right no i mean it's uh, definitely was uh psychologically such an interesting thing to go through like am i going to age out am i still going to be relevant is my voice still going to count like does it Mm -hmm. matter what i say because everything shifted so yeah but the great thing was that it made everybody on the same playing field you know what i mean like you could do you could experiment and do whatever you wanted because you didn't feel like you were losing a step time wise you know
2: yeah. And I, I I really do miss that because as we're coming out of it, I'm like, I think I have like a post pandemic funk.
1: Yeah, it's scary. Am I, I going to get a spot? Like when the comedy start, store start doing spots, I'm going to be like six months before I get a spot because there's going to be a juggernaut of all these people who can sell tremendous tickets, you know, but yes. then you get one and you're like, OK, OK, it's all good. Right. It's all good.
2: Yeah, I know. I did feel a little bit of relief. I'm doing a uh, my first set back because I'm now I'm fully vaccinated, so I got a set in the city uh, next week. But also, uh, they just told me that I was uh, closing out the show, and I was like, "Why?" <laughs> I, know, I,
1: know. I, know. I was set at the Laugh Factory. He's like, "You're doing 20 minutes," and I'm like, "What? I can do 12 now." I know. You know
2: and uh, and they told the only reason why anybody even bothered to tell me that now is because they were like, "Hey, you're not." You're not plugging the show. And I was like, Well, I'm only doing like five minutes, not my show. You know what I mean? Like I was just like, I kind of want to sneak in, sneak out. And they were like, Oh, you're like you're closing you're closing it. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: no. Well, I was just in New York and I did a set for uh, two sets at the stand. One was for Carol Montgomery, who does women oh, of a certain age. Love right? Carol
2: Montgomery, yeah. And she's a good then friend.
1: Yeah, she's awesome, but the crowd is very genteel, and they're here to see women of a certain age. And then they call me up and they're like, "Hey, you want to do the Monday show?" And you get there, and it's like every killer in fucking New York City, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can't follow Aaron Berg? Are you insane?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it
1: was a good wake-up call, you
2: know. Oh, I I know it is good to get out there and get in front of people who are just fucking dominate because you're. Oh yeah. It's humbling, and then it—you uh, need to have your your faith and your own abilities questioned, <laughs> reaffirmed to every
1: oh, constantly, constantly.
2: Yeah, I was just talking to—I uh, was talking to Mark Brazil today about because he's doing the um. Oh, what's it called? Uh I just blanked on it. The the one in the round that they got, the new one that's uh, Oh
1: yeah. I went on the last time we did that in Hollywood, It has like a solar, like it has like some kind of space oriented name, like Yeah,
2: yeah. Solar yeah. That's
1: a great show. I've it seen looks I, so cool. The they have the killer lineups, killer lineups on that yeah. show.
2: It's 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 like the lineup that's on that show is uh, Bill Burr, Tim Dillon, Nikki Glazer, Nikki Glazer. Yes. And uh, and and Mark and then a couple other. And I'm just like, what a fucking crazy ass lineup. It's nuts.
1: Yeah. I want to say to Mark, you're going to you're going to have to write a pilot for the booker. (laughs) 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 That's how crazy that lineup is. (laughs) You have to make yeah, exactly. that
2: motherfucker a show. <laughs> I know. Holy shit! I we it was, it was just a, I just couldn't believe the lineup, but it's incredible. That's one of the cool things I think that's coming out of this is like I feel like people are more willing to just cram their friends into like all the good ones and all the good people into shit, and you know, um, uh, I I was talking about that. Like before where I was like, is any of us, are any of us getting famous at the, uh, in Boise, Idaho, when we go out for a gig? No, then let's just all just go out together and have fun. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, those well. are, those are called comedy festivals. <laughs> you know? I know, Come on, on is... out to Idaho, but I'm not making money, but okay.
2: Yep. Did, I I don't know. I think that's why I said Idaho, because there is a, there's a festival out there now, isn't there? Yeah. It's so yeah. weird to me that and like that they cuz I was thinking about that and I remember doing comedy festivals and I remember they were used to be, you know, you know, it would be fun to do them or whatever. It's much better if you're closing out and getting money for it or whatever, but um I was like, my god, like how many comics are driving or traveling to Boise, fucking I wherever it is in Idaho uh to for no money to do a short set to meet other comics, to get on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then, because
1: you have you know, to Like, you have yeah. to put your That's why I went last week I was in New York and Austin You have to remind people Oh, yeah, here I am Here I exactly. am Exactly Yeah Yeah.
2: And that's the that's the thing that people I don't think appreciate or understand about Like, I think some Most people, especially on the outside Just think comedians just have their material And they get to go and travel And do their shit It's magical it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> And like we were talking about the other day Where we're like, I, like We're editing our own fucking shit posting stuff online, you know, uh, hustling constantly 24 seven. It's like, no, I wish I could work on material, but I'm too busy trying to figure out too how to busy. get, how to make a gif.
1: Uh, oh my God. When I first started comedy, you could have the same act and float for 10 years. You didn't have to <laughs> write a script. You didn't have to do your podcast. You just had right. to show up in El Paso with that 45 minutes in your pocket for a decade. Yeah. <laughs> you
2: know, isn't that a there's a isn't there like a Mitch Hedberg joke where he was talking about um you know he'll go into audition for some as a comedian and be like you're really funny uh can you write a script it's like no and then <laughs> paraphrasing because I can't remember the whole thing but he'd be like that's like going up to a chef and be like you're a great cook can you weld or like right like something like that. and it's like hilarious
1: by the so way wh- he did write a script and he did make a movie and it got into Sundance <laughs> oh shit
2: oh that's fucking yeah. I I never knew that.
1: Yeah. I was the assistant director on that movie. No it was probably Los Enchiladas. It had Mark Marin, David Tell. Had so many comedians in it. Can Who you see was... it anywhere? I don't know. I bet you could find it out. pieces of it on YouTube. It's I'm called Los it Enchiladas.
2: That is crazy. I will definitely look that up. I never knew he did that. Yeah. That's awesome so what what so i'm gonna ask you generic questions if you don't mind okay yeah let's do it up oh oh, i thought you had a cat it's a person sorry no it's my Uh, son
1: (laughs) kissing the dog oh okay yeah just Um, thought he didn't bring his bong over as he did it (laughs)
2: nice very nice respectable (laughs) love it (laughs) um so when what when did you like who was your comedy class when you started out
1: i'm sorry what
2: who was your comedy class like when you started out doing stand-up like do you remember like the people that you were all with
1: well i started pretty young i was much younger uh, than everyone i started when i was 18 Mm -hmm. and in colorado and at that time there was a woman comic named roseanne barr out of denver colorado Mm -hmm. so i was pretty friendly with her at that time but she was older you know she already Mm -hmm. had a family and kids
0: right and
1: uh but when i moved to los angeles uh, the, and I was made a regular when I was 21 at the comedy store and um, wow. out of that class uh, that's you know might have been Carlos Mencia uh, you know people like that yeah so I'm trying to think like who else uh you know, did well at that time. I know Judy Gold came around the same time, but she was more of a New York comic, but she did work for a long time uh, Mm -hmm. at the LA Comedy Store. So Carol Montgomery came, but she was a few years uh, before me. And uh, so Margaret Cho was like two or three years after. So it was like right around that time. Yeah, 19 has made a regular, in 1985
2: wow that's awesome holy shit that was a uh
1: how dare I come on here without makeup
2: (laughs) you look amazing I don't even know Mm. you're not taking any you're like I don't believe any of you I hate all of you (laughs) um (laughs) what were you saying uh no I was I was gonna say the comedy class thing I keep talking about that with comedians you know on here because it always fascinates me because i really do wish i had like a timeline of events because it seems like some of them tend to blur like you you said you got past in 85 or you you were a regular at the club or whatever and then i feel like after that you're just thrown in with everybody you know like the whole mix and i feel like now there's uh, more of a
1: Yeah. You know, now there because there's so many more comedians at that time, there really wasn't a lot of women that were doing comedy. And at the comedy store, her thing at that time was, uh, do I have this tie? Do I have this Mm -hmm. tie? Like she was looking at it like, you know, what who is not represented here? And so I kind of slid in. Uh, right. Because she didn't have, uh, you know, a young dumb dummy girl, you know, I mean? <laughs> you not know, because my comedy at the time was like, hey, I like I was such a ditz, you know, because I was so young, you know. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, she really was into a type, and I can't. And because the guys then at the comedy store were so much older than me, then when the alternative scene happened. I kind of got lumped in with the old guys, even though the alternative scene was more my age, but mm-hmm. because I was so present in such a big venue and club at the time, I kind of got just got dumped, uh, you know, lumped into it with the older comedians, the older, older style of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. But at
0: that time of...
1: it was.
2: No, I was going to say, when I think of that, I do, I do imagine you with a totally different class of comedians. You know what I mean? Like, cause you were, I guess, cause of that comedy store effect.
1: Right, because if you worked the comedy store, you didn't really, at that time, you didn't really work the uh, improv. A little bit at the Laugh Factory, because that's the Laugh Factory is really small and new at that time, so it wasn't Mm -hmm. a threat to the comedy store or the improv. So people that worked at the comedy store and the improv would sometimes converge at the Laugh Factory, and then he grew that into being what it is today, which is uh, definitely a threat, you know? Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Club-wise, yeah. yeah. Right.
2: Um, Was there, uh, somebody had told me that, basically like the comedy store back then if you were to compare the comedy store and the improv mitzi really set it up where there wasn't any like uh like it was uh you know male female male female like as far as the lineups would go like if there was like that but as soon as you got out of there they did kind of stigmatize it and have it was there was only like one woman on a show at the other clubs did you notice a lot of that at the time or
1: well when you look at the uh old lineups at the comedy store it wasn't like guy girl guy girl guy girl it certainly oh, okay. wasn't that but it was like three four chicks on a lineup all through the night which was a lot that was a mm. lot because you'd go to the improv maybe there was one chick you know what i mean and wow. it, and uh and the comedy store was more about street comics it was more character driven c- comedy you know what i mean mm. where the improv was was more like guys who came out of it through you know like Ivy League schools or through college and through a more educated sense of you know show business and comedy and writing you know so uh so there was a difference where like the comedy store at that time like had Sam Kinnison you know it had people yeah. that were more character driven you know right. so even though they had Argus, Argus did the tonight show a buttload of times. Argus yeah. Hamilton.
2: Yeah, he's a staple. I met I met him when I was there. I lived in LA for two years and he Argus is one of the first people I I met and he was uh he's a he's a cool dude and he's super fucking tall and I'm I'm super short, so it was just like uh always right. like, you know, Argus like
1: tried to sell me the Paul Rodriguez once for a bundle of coke. <laughs>
0: I don't
1: even think Paul Rodriguez knew that, but that's how much Argus loved cocaine. <laughs> oh my God. Did you know it was happening
2: we, at the time? Or were you like, the
0: we, fuck?
1: Yeah, because we were standing in the back hallway and he's like, hey, you want to go party with Paul Rodriguez? <laughs> <laughs> and I look at Paul's in his Porsche, like revving it in the driveway, right? And I'm all like, no. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't think Paul had any idea, but Argus was going to make it happen.
0: <laughs> wow. Holy no, shit. No, he talks
1: openly about it. I wouldn't tease him if he didn't talk openly right. about it.
2: So, yeah. Oh, Of course. Yeah, I know. You have to yeah. put that little preface at the end of it. It'd be like, "Don't nobody, nobody cancel Argus. <laughs> no, Argus
1: is, uh, no, it was the time. That was the yeah. time, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I actually came to comedy through, I was a stripper when I was 18. And right. I'm so grateful I had that experience because, I mean, the comedy store is just a den of vipers, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I was able to talk back to the guys and not feel you know what i mean uh mm-hmm. afraid to you know because i yeah. been working at a strip club <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> is that what made your transition into like the more like kind of like a, a bluer material because you said when you started out you were uh kind of innocent very ditzy with your act and then but you did have a turn at some point was it because of the background in, in strip clubs and everything and like get a little well, bit of a natural edge it. to you
1: at that time, I mean, if you're like, I was 21 in the clubs, the average age of the audience, probably 32, like what, mm-hmm. you know, wh- what are, and, the, and there weren't a lot of women. So what am I going to say that I have in common right. with grown ass adults, even though I'm legally adult, but you know, I'm like 21. And, <laughs> and so the- uh, <laughs> I'm 36 the and only, I still
2: feel that way. Oh, no.
1: And when I went to New York, I actually moved to New York to, uh, for about a decade. And I remember I was in New York. I was probably at the comic strip, and I was like, hey, everybody, I am Felicia Michaels. And they were like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, you. <laughs> <"Let me hew." laughs> I totally cured it. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, uh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I
1: mean, it is what it is. So there you go.
2: That's incredible. Um, would you have gone uh, – w- have you talked to Paul Rodriguez about, uh, about the Coke exchange? Do you think you no, would have been
1: like I- – I'm sure it was all Argus's craziness, you know, like, sure. hey, Paul said, if you come party with us, he's going to give me a bindle of Coke. <laughs> it was like, Paul probably never said that. It was just Argus <laughs> hoping to get a bindle of Coke somewhere. <laughs> I missed,
2: I, I came into, I, I started doing comedy when I was 20 and literally all the guys that I used to work with, like headliners would tell me all the stories about how they used to get paid in Coke. They'd be like bags of Coke, cash. And the food used to be great. And I'd be like, well, thanks. I feel like I'm starting at the worst possible fucking time, Uh, which I technically, I guess, all the fun had ended after that. But um, it still seems like another world to me because even like when I was growing up, like reading like all the comedy books, I was a huge comedy nerd. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, like that just seemed like. Did you realize how much fun it was or did you think it was fucked up?
1: You know, uh, so it's an interesting thing because. Uh, when I was a stripper, I never did drugs. That was like, mm. uh, that was my one thing. Like if I do drugs, I'm fucked. You know what right. I mean? Like I have to be level-headed here and I, and I, uh, didn't do it, uh, very long. I did it, I think two years maybe at the most, but when you see, uh, it's, it's weird to hear the word fun connected to that because okay. The people, you know, that was like kennison and all those guys, and they were doing, you know, when you, when you're around people that you're working with, and they are haven't slept in three days, and they're calling you to take them to the airport, and you see them coke out of their minds in an ugly way. It's,
0: mm.
1: you know, like, uh, and at that time I was dating Alan Stevens. He was a lot older than me. And, oh my god! Uh,
2: yeah, I've had I've had him on was, the show too.
1: Yeah, he's awesome. He was one of the outlaws. And mm-hmm. I remember one time he called me up and he's like, hey, we're we're all going to Vancouver because Kinison has a theater date and we're gonna rent some vans and party and drive up to Vancouver. And even <laughs> as a 22 year old at the time I was like, yeah, doesn't seem like such a great idea to do a bunch of <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> And drive over the Rocky Mountains with you fucks going over an international border, like yeah. I don't know. That does I was never that. You know. I enjoyed myself, but I, I. It just wasn't my thing. You know. So.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I. I feel like that wouldn't have been. I don't. I don't think that would have been my thing uh, either. When I was. Uh, w- do you know uh, Angel Salazar?
1: Uh, oh my God! One time at the La Jolla Comedy Store. Mm-hmm. I was in the dress you know, the dressing room at the La Jolla comedy store, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like brushing my hair or putting on makeup. and then I was looking in the mirror to where Angel was, the reflection and angel, there was a girl coked out of his mind. There was a girl that was combing his hair, and there was another girl tying his shoes, right. And mm. I was looking at him like, "Look at this motherfucker, right?" <laughs> and he sees me do it, and he's like, "Baby, you want some of this?" And I was like,
0: "No." Oh my <laughs> no. god! No.
2: Yeah. And knowing he had a act, good time. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, there was one. I don't. I didn't know him too well. I'd opened, I I gotten to know him over the years, but I'd open for him a bunch uh, when he was when he was in the area, bananas or whatever. And I, I picked him up a couple times or whatever. But one of the first times I'd, I'd worked with him, I didn't know the extent of the stories, right? And um, the club owner or uh, the manager or whatever at the time um, was a good friend. And she was just like, yeah, you know, just whatever. Like, if he doesn't show, he might, you know, if he's on stage, you might need to stay on stage a little longer if he doesn't show up in case he disappears. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she was like, just... Mm. And I was like, OK, so anyway, I'm on stage. I'm doing my thing. And uh, she comes up like, you know, we're with an eye shot of the stage or whatever. But she completely fucks up and mis- mixes up the signals. So She's trying to tell me to scratch it. Instead, she's doing she's doing this. So I'm like, oh, right. and I'm like not done yet. But I'm like, oh, OK, I guess he wants. I don't know what's going on. So I'm like, all right, everybody, I'm going to wrap it up. Like, I'm going to bring it. Out. She's like, no. And then she's like, she's doing this even harder. And I'm like, all right, Denise, I'm getting off stage relax and she's like no, no no she's like whatever it means to keep going was, yeah. <laughs> like, whatever this one is and i was like oh my god so like i i wind up going long and he's mia because you know he's doing coke um or whatever so they finally find him they drag him on stage and then later that night he's got a bunch of his friends are there and uh he's like hey man like we're all getting in a limo he's like you gotta come with us we're going out And he like grabs me to take me like with them in limo, and Denise comes up behind me, and I was like twenty, I was like twenty two probably. She comes behind me, just grabs me, and she's like, "Uh uh," she goes, "You go with them. You will never be seen again." (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, all right. I was like, I don't know. I'm like, I think I'm just gonna probably go home or stay the night or whatever. But it was hilarious. She just like immediately was like, "Do not go. I will not come back." And I was like, "All right." So yeah, well, that by was my the way, only
1: uh he was a dynamo on stage like when yes. when he was at the height of it like he was uh a uh, fun to watch. I mean, he's you still know, fun you can't to take, watch. Yeah, you can't take that away from him for sure. No.
2: He cr- they and, and his audience, they love him. Like there's like his audience is so friendly, so nice and they they like they wait for it. Like it's so it that was one of the coolest things to see when I was and i was younger too so when i got to work with like guys like him and even like who had specific audiences when they came out like it was just cool to see that if you just hung around long enough people would love you still come out to see you and uh you know they would just they, i don't know he just he, he seemed to love it like he didn't get tired of it
0: right so, right it was
2: just it was just fucking cool as shit um do you remember so do you remember now like what your first paid gig was on the road
1: Wow that's a good question.
2: It's always because a tough one for people, but I always like uh, I like finding out the answer if they remember.
1: I would say like where it made a difference in my life, Okay. Uh, you know, because it's if you're making twenty five, fifty bucks, you know right, but right. where it ma- made a difference in my life mm-hmm. was uh, getting at the comedy store and then she sent me to La Jolla and then she sent me to vegas and i maybe oh, wow. was doing comedy a handful of years and i was working in vegas and i only had to do like 7 minutes and you wow. got paid like $2000 like i was 22 years old in a time when a dollar was worth three times the amount yeah make it so so i never had to have a job so i i got that gig like once a month or once every five weeks because I was on the rotation. So mm. I I would say that. But the first time I played there was before I was ready uh, because I was so green and I might have been 21 at that time. And uh, I was working with a guy named Ollie Joe Prater and Charlie Hill. And mm. do you know these guys at all? No. Charlie Hill there was a there's a guy named Cliff Nesterson
0: mm-hmm. who
1: wrote a book called uh We Have a Real Estate Problem and it's mm-hmm. and Charlie Hill was one of the first American Indian comedians other than Will Rogers but that actually was one of a punchline to one of his jokes and he was like the first American Indian on the uh he recently he passed a couple years ago, but he was first uh, American Indian on, um, the tonight show. He was on Richard Pryor show. Wow. Like he was, uh, you know, a big, uh, uh, monumental comic in that sense. And then Ollie Joe Prater was this, uh, pretty hefty guy, a party guy, <laughs> big party guy, big, like one of the original <laughs> road dogs and wow. he had a beard and a cowboy hat and, uh, yeah. So I worked with those guys and, uh, I didn't have a good, I just wasn't ready. And I remember after my set, she had me go into the dressing room and she was like, you're not ready. And I was all like, I know, but I wanted to show you that I had the balls to do it. Cause I knew I wasn't ready.
0: Right.
1: And, uh, and she was like, no, 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 it's, it's not your fault. It's my fault. And then the next morning, cause you even get at those times you got like a limo ride back and forth to the airport and stuff wow i had a limo ride back to the airport after i was fired <laughs> and i turn around and they were taking my name off the thing <laughs> oh, like, showbiz. 21 in their showbiz.
0: <laughs>
1: she kept oh, her word and i like had the eight o'clock spot for the next year worked la jolla and then the following year when i was around 22 uh, I had that gig for a, a good solid seven years. I mean, that changed wow. my life. That changed my life, yeah. Wow.
2: Do, you, do you remember the first thing you bought with the money that you were making at the time that was like out of your, you know what I mean? Like, since you're making that kind of money at the time, what was like the first lavish thing you got yourself?
1: Oh, the first, oh, a 1969 Ford Mustang, bitch. Oh, <laughs> that's what I yeah, got, <laughs> golden with... <laughs> <laughs> with a rag top <laughs> a golden rag top and wow you know, old leather seats yeah
2: goodbye that's fucking awesome
1: it was a fast it was a, not a fastback i think it was more of a coupe.
2: okay that's yeah. that's sick that's a great buy some some yeah, people like, oh, like a house and i'm like oh cool that's nice but that's a great buy <laughs> <laughs> um what was the uh what was it like for the rest of the, so after you had done that, did that open up a bunch of doors for you? Or were you still comfortable around like the LA area doing that kind of stuff? Cause like you also did some acting and stuff too, but I'm always curious to transition between going, I'm done doing the road and I want to do more of this or.
1: Well, I did, uh, I did the road, um, you know, because I had that gig, I didn't really do the road till the end of my twenties. Like I did Mm -hmm. some stuff like, Right. Phoenix. I did like uh, California, Arizona, a little bit of Texas. Like I was pretty friendly with uh, uh, the Austin comedy bench that first came out, which was a very strong bench had like guys like Howard Kramer had Johnny Hardwick, a guy named uh, uh, Joy Walden, a bunch of guys like that and Tom Hester who was a friend and uh, started doing comedy in high school along with Bill Hicks, who was also in high school Oh, and uh so wow. it was a bunch yeah, so I I i middled and stuff like that, but then I won Star Search and uh, mm. when I was like twenty. In
0: nineteen
1: ninety one. Right. And uh exactly, and uh <laughs> and then that elevated me to be a headliner and then I worked the next decade thirty five weeks a year for a decade. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah.
0: That's incredible.
2: Hard
1: hard hard runs, like ten weeks at a time, like mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that fucking sucks. Who'd you
2: beat out on Star Search?
1: Um, I, uh, I beat out, well, because the way they did it, I mean, if we're going to talk Star Search, right? The way they did <laughs> that's so lame to even say out loud. But the way they did it is they would shoot two sections, like they two blocks of shows. So mm-hmm. they would, shoot. Kind of, I, I might be off here and there, but they would shoot like a, a big block in the, like, let's say late spring, early summer. And mm-hmm. then you would work your, what you would compete against each other. And then whoever went to the semifinals of that, would de- depended on how many episodes you had won, or if you were the last uh, uh, one that had won, you know, and then you okay. guys went to the semifinals. And then, uh, then they did uh, at the end of the year, mm-hmm. they did like, let's say late fall, they did uh, the same thing. And then, so then they would have the semifinalists from the spring and then the fall and then a couple of weeks would go by, and then you would go into the semifinals and finals. So in the uh, semifinals, when I did it, was Carrot Top, Bob Zaney, and a girl named Leslie Norris. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, Bob Zaney went against Carrot Top. <laughs> so right. here's the stupid thing about Star Search, the old <laughs> comics. Like, like, if you talk to Mark Brazil, Mark Brazil's like, Oh God, what is, uh, Larry, Uh, he had a Wilmore. show, in- Larry Harry Wilmore. It's mm-hmm. like, fucking Larry Wilmore beat me out in Star Search. He actually <laughs> said this to me a couple of weeks ago. I was like, bitch, you created the 70s show, shut the fuck up, like who cares about fucking Star Search, right, but Right. they still get like that. They still get all like, remember in 1990 when, it's like, Jesus Christ, dude.
2: That's exactly uh, how the conversation started about who won in '91 because it was I. We were talking to Joey Cola, um, uh, oh my God, George. It was about uh, Melvin George, Melvin George, and somebody else. I can't remember who the hell else was on there, but oh, uh, Rob Bartlett, and they all started talking about Star Search, and they were all arguing about who beat who and whatever. And then for some reason '91 came up, and then they were like, "Who won in '91?" And then you know, it went from there, whatever.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's so silly. Anyway, so uh, Bob Zaney went against Carrot Top once again. The ridiculous sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and uh, Bob Z- <laughs> they both did props, right? So, yep. uh So Carrot Top does his thing. Bob Zaney goes, and he goes to uh, pull out like a balloon prop, mm-hmm. and the balloon breaks, right? Oh no, something something like that. So he was knocked out. So I don't know how it happened, but I went against this girl named Leslie Norris and she hasn't done, I think she might still do comedy, but it's very local and in in the South, like lovely lady, but she was also very blonde and cutesy and had kind of the same spiel that I did. And so look at the draw in the finals. She she was came from the spring, so she had fucking six months to be like a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, because that's what you won, right? Right. Whereas it kind of happened real quick. <laughs> it was just one of those weird things that it happened super quick with me. So I was just like, all right, hundred thousand dollars, whatever, right? Yeah. But she she and here's the thing: I was a filthy comic. Star Search was the apple pie show of America, right? Mm-hmm. I had no clean jokes. I remember comedians were coming up to me and being like. You can borrow some of my jokes. Like People were in the, on the down low, like, bitch, you ain't going to win. You got to borrow some of my jokes. And there was a part of me where I was like, I should borrow some jokes.
0: from.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I was literally like, you ever notice when you're sucking on a guy's dick? Like That was from the get-go, right? So, <laughs> but I was like, no, I will never hear the end of it. Every Everybody already thinks I'm an idiot. I better not do it. <laughs> and then uh, she goes first. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought she had a very nice set.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I go. I mean, it was OK. Right. So but I thought, well, she like Bob Zany and Carrot Top had the luck of the draw that she got to go first. Right. So after we did our sets, we reset cameras and everything. And then uh, uh, we're in the dressing room. I'm in a dressing room and she's right next to me. And, uh, and I knock on the door and I'm like, Leslie, I just wanted to say, be the first one to say, I think you won and congratulations. Like, I think it's going to go your way. Mm -hmm. And then she looked at me and she was like, it's all in God's hands now. And (laughs) I (laughs) thought to myself, fuck you, bitch. I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) win. No one escapes it. Right.
0: Right. And then then
1: I accidentally win, right. By some, Mm -hmm. I don't know what was going on. And I win, and then I was in the dressing room later with my handsome boyfriend that I had a uh, new boyfriend, and we we're drinking champagne. And I could hear her crying in her room, <laughs> and I was all like, you "Bad bitch!"
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's in God's hands. I guess it was I in like God's hands, better. and he
1: said, "No." <laughs> it was so dumb, so dumb. So oh my
2: god. god, that's fucking great! And then so from so from Star Search, then that was it, man. And that was like that was like your Carson.
1: <laughs> yeah, sadly so. Sadly, I mean, it was a great experience because it made me a headliner. It put a big chunk of change in my pocket. I got to yeah. headline. It really gave me an opportunity. uh That when I got to go to New York, I got you know that opportunity. I went and I made short films and I did the whole spiel. I'm not an actress. I didn't care for doing that kind of stuff. But you know, it was a, a blessing for sure.
2: Hang on. Sorry. I'll tell you a funny story
1: about yes, Star Search. Oh, is it? Okay? I'm back. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Cherry Pie, that song? She yes. Bobby Brown, who was in that? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. The blonde girl, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was on Star Search on my, on my episodes, and she made it into the finals for Model Spokesperson. Oh. And at the finals... And Ed McMahon is all like, okay, Bobby Brown. And she goes, you have to do a little speech, like, you know, like model spokesperson speech. But Mm -hmm. she fucks up and then she stops. And we all know she's thinking they're going to reset the cameras. And Mm -hmm. there's this long, awkward moment. And then Ed Ed McMahon goes. <clears throat> I'd like to remind the contestants that this is actually a competition. <laughs> 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 <It's> going win. <laughs> Holy shit! <Yeah. clears
2: throat> That's fucking great. Uh, so what? So okay. So you do Star Search, wherever You start becoming a headliner, and then uh, from that point on, when did you start to branch out into like? Uh, you started doing a little bit of writing. You started acting and stuff like that. Was that a smooth transition, or just something that you were like, "I'm ready for the next step"? Like, how did that process work for you?
1: Um, well, I had got you know, I had uh at those times at that time they were giving a lot of TV deals away. They still give those away, but at that time it was like insanity. It was like Bitcoin, <laughs> right? It was like craziness. <laughs> it made no sense. You had five right. minutes. You had a quarter of a million dollar holding deal. I never got that much money, but (laughs) I had like five holding deals like to, to, yeah. And I had a pilot. And so a guy named Stan Daniels, I had written a pilot and, uh, and I had written a part for Dom Irera. So after I'd won, I I just happened to write it. Like Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know what I was doing. So after, uh, I'd won Star Search, I got this manager named Michael Rotenberg and he knew Dom Irera, and so he was able to make something happen at HBO, which was uh, HIP Productions or something like that. And uh, and then everything kind of shifted, and then they brought over the writer-creator, one of the writer-creators of Taxi, that show Taxi. Yep. And uh, so I did make a pilot, but it it didn't get picked up. Wow. So yeah, so I mean that's it happens to a lot of people. So and so holding uh,
2: deals back then there was just that was just networks going hey we like you we don't know what we want to do with you but we this is we have you if we need is that what It that can is? be
1: anything. It can be like we want to develop with you. It can be exactly like you're saying we like you. We don't, but we want to maybe cast you in something, or mm-hmm. it could be we just give a big deal uh to someone else, so we're gonna give you a little baby deal giving mm. you hope, but then we're just kind of sidelining <laughs> you for a little bit. So it could right. be any combination of that. And so like through my, one of my deals, I, uh, it got satisfied from doing, some episodes of full house. I did a few episodes of that's when I realized I don't like, I'm not an actress. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did
2: you, did you not like doing it or you just didn't think you did well? It just
1: wasn't my jam. I I mean, it was fine. Like, you know, but if I would have, if I would have done it, uh, you know, I I just realized I wasn't going to shine at it. Like it'd be okay, you know, but it just wasn't my comfort zone. And when I would do, any kind of acting I would always think oh I wonder what the camera guy's thinking and that's when I started pick up a lot of photography and started doing a little bit of filmmaking and stuff like that because it Mm -hmm. that felt more to my desires
2: yeah I like your photography by the way I looked up thank you you're welcome and I I think it was the last time we spoke you told me I didn't know sorry I didn't know you I didn't know you were also a photographer but I love when comedians have like uh other artsy interests because i feel like comedians when they do other things they're still that comedian uh, you know what i mean there's still that like uh inner whatever in them
1: right you know I mean? or like, when people essence. like a lot of comedians who are actual artists who yes. paint mm-hmm. like, oh man. my god yeah i
2: know the painter, the ones that can paint man i i draw a cartoon like i've done i do cartoons and i've had some in like magazines or whatever because i wanted to be either a comedian or a cartoonist when i was younger those are the only two things so I drew, I, I put a book out or whatever, but the ones that can paint always blow me the fuck away. Cause I've never been able, or maybe, I don't know why I just painting was never my thing. And, uh, but whenever I see another comedian who can paint like Jim Carrey who does those paintings and has that whole fucking right. studio. And I mean, it's the weirdest shit, but it blows me away. And then, you know, um, and then finding out that there's other comedians who just have like those little weird talents and stuff like that. Like they're just like to draw and stuff always blows me away. So yes, I like a lot of
1: musicians. Yeah. Oh, thank you.
2: Yeah. Thank is you. there one that you like more than
1: the other one? What?
2: Like a like, is there one skill that you have that you really just would like, if I could just do this, if this is how I want to go out, I just want to do right. this one thing.
1: Wow. I think uh, right now the uh, like I'm working on a book like definitely for sure like if i got run over tomorrow by a bus i'd be like oh i didn't finish my book you know what i mean like no seriously
2: that's perfect well this is dystopia so we like to ask we like to know those questions that's great uh you'd be more upset about the book that's not bad like you wouldn't be like i have that set at the stand
1: no Uh. (laughs) i'd be like oh fuck
2: the book (laughs)
1: <laughs> Which I've been working on forever. <laughs> like, What's the
2: book? Can you talk about what it's what it's about or not yet?
1: Um, it's a novel. It's a novel. I oh, do cool. want to do a uh, photo book uh, with mm-hmm. comedy comedy essays. That's going to be the next nice. one after that. Yeah,
2: that's awesome. Um, I didn't get a chance to, I, I, haven't, I didn't know, I didn't see your uh, documentary pervs, Um, but uh, what can you talk about that a little bit and what it's about? What made you want to do it?
1: Sure. I uh, If you look on the screen and you see the poster for that, I mm. had met this uh, comedian named Susanna Lee and we, and we actually met at like the Ventura Comedy Club or something in the green room and I just saw she's all tatted up, just very fascinating. Mm-hmm. person like when you meet her you're like what is going on there right. and uh, uh i like a year i had photographed her but i always remembered her because she was so unusual looking and, and beautiful and old school looking and she and uh and uh, coming from a stripping background you see it <laughs> when you see it you know and uh <laughs> so i was on like a gofundme or a kickstarter actually and i saw she Had was looking for someone to fund her project, which was uh, interviewing comedians while uh, she would strip for them in the last working uh, peep show in the Los Angeles County area, which is on Lancashire Boulevard in the Valley. And I was and it wasn't that much money. And I had made short films and stuff. And I was like, that is just fascinating so mm-hmm. i funded the film but i was like i had a uh, emailed her and said look i'll fund this film but i want to direct it and so uh she was like fuck yeah so then uh we filmed at this place called the venus uh, fair it's on Lancashire, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a trip when you go in there it's like the old school put the dollar in the machine and wow. curtain goes up and down and uh and uh so it's uh, interviewing people about deviance. And uh, and so we got all these comedians like, uh, you know, Solomon Giorgio, Laurie Kilmartin, Baron Vaughn, nice. uh, Joey Diaz, Felipe Esparza, like just a shitload of comedians. And there's like 35, 40 comics in it. And wow. just talking on the subject of deviance, we got uh, Rick, oh uh, God.
0: Overton? Uh,
1: no, no, no! He's a New York guy. Uh, it's going to drive me crazy that it doesn't come up because he was so amazing in the film. Because originally it was going to be a web series,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then uh, that uh, he he's like he has a twin.
2: Oh, it's so, I, that's who I thought you were talking about too, and I was like, no way, a real street
1: but, um, comic, real uh, Shapiro. Street comic. I'm so th- I'm so sorry that I couldn't remember because he is. Amazing. He's
2: great. He's a great dude. He
1: is amazing. And when we when she interviewed him, he had uh unbeknownst to me and her, he was a sex worker when he started out, Mm. like you know, like the Ramones kind of lifestyle in New York City as a kid. And when he talked so honestly and bravely and open about it, wow, that you know, because the the idea of the peep, uh the web series is it was going to be funny and light and it didn't fit in the web series format of what we were going for. But the more I thought about, I was like, no, I think this is a documentary and I think it's really important to keep Rick Shapiro in it. And, uh, and so then it just became a documentary instead of a web series. And, uh, and, you know, you, when you make projects and you put your friends in it that are comedians and you sit tight for five years, everyone took off, you know, like, it's an amazing thing you
2: know yeah that's a good point yeah Leah, rick i that's i was wondering if you were talking about rick and then i didn't want to throw a name out there um but yeah he's he's got a crazy crazy interesting life i'm gonna have to check it out because i I don't know the full detail of that story but i knew you know some of it from working with him right. back in the day yeah he, he and his brother she
1: was a she was afraid to interview him because he can be Yes, you know, ch- chaotic, but that's his brand, you know. Yep. And he was the complete opposite, and so kind and giving. And they, like, you could see they had an understanding of, yeah, of, uh, of, of how deviance uh, can control your life and not always in the best way. He is anyway. very
2: kind, and uh, and that's a, like so. There's a, but he is he he all right. His brand is very chaotic or whatever. When I was younger and I was starting out, and I think I was only doing it for a year i was at the um the improv in new york and it was before it became broadway and uh he was on stage and i uh was backstage waiting to go on and i leaned against the wall like a moron and shut the light off (laughs) and then uh unbeknownst unbeknownst you know what fuck
0: you (laughs) fuck you (laughs) who does that
2: it gets worse unbeknownst to me they had been lighting rick for the last 10 minutes trying to get him off stage because he was going long and then i do that and he goes oh now they're fucking shutting the light off on me now i'm not fucking going anyway and i was just like oh my god oh my god and so the mc at the time is like you motherfucker now he's gonna think it's me he's gonna murder me and i was like i'm so you know whatever so uh so the so Rick gets off and the MC goes on. And he goes, uh, "I just wanna." He doesn't even do any jokes. He goes, "I just, I just want you to know that Poveromo was the one who leaned on the lights." <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Fuck!" Uh, but Ray was like, and of course he brings me up or whatever. And then I, I would But Rick was like, he was still just super nice. You know what I mean? I thought,
0: yeah, you know, Ray I thought yeah. he, I
2: thought I was getting murdered that yeah. night. But I, it was. I was like, "Hey man, I'm so sorry." He's like, "Ah, eh, don't worry about it." I was like.
1: No, he's a great but, guy yeah great he's guy. super
2: super nice and was nice to me for you know the rest of the time i knew him too one <clears throat> another another weird rick story too is walking down the street because you know when you're in new york like you pass by you know you're going from club to club you run into the comics he is sitting with uh i guess a, this girl he was dating at the time in like one of those cafes that has glass windows that look out of the city and i'm walking by and it added just to my peripheral or whatever this <laughs> maniac banging on the glass window and i was like don't fuck it. don't fucking look at it you know whatever but like he was like john and then i was like Ugh. and he's like hey come here and it was him and then he just introduced me to his girl which i thought was nice because again i was like a nothing you know whatever and he was like he's like this guy's this guy's funny it was so random so weird but i guess i don't know maybe he was having a bad date and he's like anybody i'd like anybody <laughs> to come in <laughs> off the street right. even if i don't know you uh yeah. but yeah he was really cool dude that's awesome, though. That's cool that it turned into a documentary. Are you planning on any other films?
1: Well, I am writing. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see.
2: I, I feel like you're like you're. You've got a lot of stuff going on too. Because I was surprised you were. You said earlier that you were taking a like a writing class, you got your podcast that you're working on, you have working on a book. You're putting all of us to shame because that's a lot like I feel like not many people did anything during the pandemic and you're like Oh,
1: I, I feel like this. the biggest loser on the on the really? planet. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, Cause I had my uh, podcast and uh, we mm. were going gangbusters. I made a bunch of anime spun a bunch of animations off that thing. Like with Bobby Lee and a bunch of people, Eleanor Kerrigan, Josh Wolf. But uh, you know, just after the pandemic, my partner had to leave town and then, you know, mm. you know how it is. Everyone yep. struggled. And so, uh, but it's hard. It, it's hard to self-start, you know, you oh, know. of course yep, you guys know. know. So,
2: exactly i I didn't realize you've been you've been in the podcast thing for a while you had that you had a monster podcast with joey diaz right beauty and the beast and then so like you've been doing it since before it was as trendy as it is now have you seen like a lot of variants since since 10 years ago when you first were kicking it off
1: uh, well, it's easier to, to figure out now how to put it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. when we were doing it, it was kind of a little bit hard to, it was harder to figure out to, uh, you know, just get, actually getting it up on, on, uh, iTunes and all time I thought was difficult. And I, you know, when I stopped doing comedy, I, I did a lot of photography. I stopped for about 10 years and I worked at a digital capture firm. So I had a pretty good understanding of things like that. And I still thought it was, uh, pretty hard, but I think that when you're doing a podcast, you just have to have now you could get away with just having comics on it, but it seems like now you have to like, you guys have a little bit of a theme. You have to have kind of a theme. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I did the liars club, it was like, you know, I had worked with John Fugel saying on some uh, political show called comedy nation. Yes. And And I read, I wrote that one pretty hard and I just got to the point where I, I just wanted to do a silly podcast. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I, you know, with Joey, it was a, a a great learning experience on how to be spontaneous. I, I, I try to be a little bit more controlled with stuff and uh, working with him was a great uh, uh, experience on just how to be spontaneous and not take yourself so serious and not worry about. Things being so technically correct because people f- will forgive sloppiness for a genuine experience. So that was a big learning thing through Beauty and the Beast, and then uh, doing the liar, uh, the Comedy Nation thing was so like you had to be so correct on all your politics. So it was a big learning curve on it, yeah. in being able to even explain yourself or talk correctly about politics, and it was such a serious thing, and it was so angry making. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not the experience of obviously working with John Fuglesing, who's just amazing in his own. Ro- John Fuglesing, is. There's so many amazing comics and so many genres, and he just shines in his. And and he is uh, so giving and kind. And uh, yeah. So that was a great experience, but it's been so much fun with my friend Jessica Wellington. She's a door one of the first uh, door guys at the comedy store. The first door guy at the comedy store that was a girl, and wow. so. The thing about a podcast, as you guys know, is just connection. Do you make each other laugh? And mm-hmm. we could sit here and and just laugh about anything. And it was and it was a, uh, it's an, actually a game. So you just tell uh, two stories. It's not genius. You tell two stories. One is the truth. One is a lie. Yeah. You try to figure out which one is a lie. It's old school, but it was just fun to to enjoy comedy in just a silly way again. You know mm. what I mean? So. Uh, i i feel very lucky that i had that opportunity we did it at the comedy store and had support from the comedy store but now we're just trying to find our way back in you know as yeah. everybody is as everybody is you know
2: yeah exactly and that's a, i love that you said you need to have some kind of a hook too because i think i i really just wanted to talk to people while the world was kind of falling apart but dystopia tonight seemed to be like the best thing or whatever and i Find it like I I did the the intro thing with like a bunch of shit that's going on or that was going on at the time, right? And then Mm -hmm. it's funny because I feel like I I don't care what the guest wants to talk about, but there's sometimes where like people see that intro and they're like, ah, we're gonna talk about Israel Palestine, you know, or whatever. And then they roll up their sleeves, and I'm like, it could be anything though. I'm just throwing in it because like it is just nice to have fun and take like a break from you know uh whatever and i i do john fugle saying show all the time uh that tell and me everything he is but he's you're but it's one of those things where like he's so fucking smart and so oh my smart.
1: god he's so smart if you say something stupid he'll call you out on it and you're like yeah bro bro i'm sorry about that <laughs> like, <laughs> sure. you're like yeah you're right you're right I exactly knew what yeah. a neocon was <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. Like, and, and yeah. yeah
2: it's so fucking cr- and it's one of those things where like i he he'll, he'll. I'll go on and he's had me on like all through the pandemic nice enough where I don't even have to go in the studio and stuff like that I just call on the phone but he'll give me these intros that are like smart funny but and I'm like just please don't say I'm smart like <laughs> where I'm just like for the love of God don't build me up like because he's just like you know I mean I, I, yeah. it doesn't miss a beat
1: you know what I love about comedy? I love how many uh, genres there are, and I love mm-hmm. how pe- people shine at different things. And John Fugle saying, and I'll tell you who else, Ida Rodriguez. Oh, yes. Those two shine in a way that I don't know how they do it. Like, mm-hmm. it's one thing to be sassy on a podcast and make a few points. But I've seen those guys like at Politicon, like debating, yeah. like people you see on the news, like though, what they do is so amazing. Like I could never, I could never do that. You know what I mean? Like when you hang around people and you're like, I can't do that. And you're like, well, what can I do? You know, do? he
2: he does it at such a level and a speed. It's kind of funny. Cause I, I do enjoy that kind of stuff. And I like the, uh, you know political edge and, and talking to people about uh stuff or whatever and he loved i wrote this article for for newsweek that he loved or whatever and it still intimidates the shit out of me going on there because i just know that whatever i think i know he knows it It he knows it in a way oh, yeah. that's inside a- and i'm like and i just want to be like how the fuck do you find the time or is your brain just functioning like that it's it's wild, it's so, and like even when he takes the uh, we do the you know the the callers for the guests or whatever they call in at the end of the night, even that, even that he, he handles them with grace and just whatever, and meanwhile, I'm like knuckle biting because I'm annoyed at you know some you know uh Trump supporter for calling in and John right John just, right. just like fact, 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 whatever, and then handles him nicely, and i I'm like, I'm raging, I don't know what you're talking about, John like. <laughs> like it's the
1: craziest yeah, shit Yeah he's amazing he's really yeah. what, Just so incredibly talented
2: Yeah yeah exactly and also it took me did, Like did you have uh, anybody that you were starstruck By like genuinely like when you were When you were coming up or were you kind of like Eh whatever Uh
1: you know, I, uh, because I had such blinders on at a young age and I, you know, I was, a, I grew up as an army brat and my mother, mm. uh, even though my dad was in the army, uh, he married a German chick. So, uh, we lived a lot overseas, uh, cause mm-hmm. we would always try to put in for overseas so she could be closer to her family, my mother. And so there's a lot of cultural references I didn't get as a young adult, uh, okay. because I was overseas, you know, and. So I I wasn't that starstruck because when I was doing it I just I was just trying to get to the next day so I had blinders on, but now mm. looking back I tell you who I and I tell people this all the time who I'm completely starstruck about and it's Elaine Boozler, oh, wow. Elaine okay. Boozler. I think it's a fucking crime that there are some comedians that aren't given their due. And I think Elaine Boozler is one of those comedians because I can be like, women don't get shit, blah, 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 all day long. And then she'll put a clip from like 1984 where she's fucking rocking a theater and wearing like the coolest fucking outfits. And she's in <laughs> pictures with like every great comedy star yeah. since the fucking '68. You know what I mean? Like she. Yep she really broke down a lot of doors and like her living boyfriends were like Andy Kaufman, Robin Williams. Like, yeah, <laughs> she saw all that and held her own. And I think it's a crime that uh, uh comedians, not only comedians, but women comedians don't give her her due.
2: I agree. That's 100% so true. At least
1: a star struck by her for sure. For sure. Yeah, she,
2: she's, she's incredible. And even sometimes like that, like when she'll respond to something I've, you know, she posts stuff all the time and she just posted a picture of her and Robin Williams and somebody else in her apartment. I don't remember who else was in the photo, but it was like her and Robin hanging out and a couple of people, whatever. And I'll just write back. I'll just write on her Instagram. And I'm like, oh my God, it's incredible. And she'll write right back. And I'm just like, oh my God. Uh, she's, she's incredible though. And she was just on, uh, I saw a clip of her on Carson. And she said something I thought was super cool where he'd said like, um, that's really funny stuff. You know, uh, the ladies will really be able to relate or whatever. And she's like, I hope everybody can relate to what I just said, because what her set was like for everybody. And I think, you know, she didn't, she didn't need to be, you know, pigeonholed at all in any kind of respect. Cause she was just killer. She's all her material materials.
1: Groundbreaker, fucking, groundbreaker yeah. in her own so right. Funny. And then I think about like, uh, Women like Rusty Warren, like she like if any woman ever has done a dirty joke on stage, they have a Rusty Warren to think to think Mm -hmm. because uh, a lot of comedy came up through uh, like body bar songs, you know what I mean? Like and she had like a song called Tits Up, but it was the first time that a woman could be that aggressive sexually and kind of funny. And, And and I mean, I think people like that deserve their due. you know.
2: I, I completely agree. And she, we, you did, did you, you did Jessica Kerson's um, uh, documentary, right, or was I not?
1: No, no, I didn't. That uh, that was I wasn't a part of that, and I haven't watched it, but it's on my list to watch. Uh, Jessica, okay. Jessica Curson. Mm-hmm. genius yeah you know i i love that bill helped her with her didn't he help her with her comedy central special he did it,
2: yeah he gave her a comedy central special which is fucking awesome. she's gonna be on the show tomorrow night and she's like one of my all-time favorites helped me when i was younger nicest person super fucking funny but yeah just dominates it's, in, it's yeah. incredible
1: yeah. i get starstruck by also uh the young generation coming up like there's some people who are writing jokes where you're like fuck man like liza traeger or yes someone like erica liza's yeah
2: she's so good
1: uh and is it lisa or Liza? it's lisa is it lisa or liza
2: i think it's lisa lisa traeger yeah yeah
1: she's an amazing comedy writer i think erica rhodes is so nice um, so funny such an amazing, clean uh, uh, mm-hmm. writer, you know, e- and even I, and I just don't mean to be uh, talking about women, but why not? But no, even sure someone uh, like uh, Karen Rontowski or here's another one that she gets some do, but she needs more do Laurie Kilmartin.
2: Oh yeah, Laurie Kilmartin,
1: is... one of the strongest joke writers. If I had a show and I needed jokes, I fucking call Laurie Kilmartin.
2: <laughs> yeah, she she is amazing. I, first time I met her was at uh, when I first got out to LA, and I was at Flappers, and she was um, working out material, and she just fucking, I mean, just, just destroyed. And it her was Conan just, it was...
1: set is the. If you ever want to do late night, you have to watch her Conan set. That Conan hmm. set is the perfect. TV set, the yes. perfect TV set. But you know who else I really love that I feel struck about now? Mm-hmm. And he came up through the alternative scene, and at the time I fucking hated the alternative scene.
0: Yeah. But who I admire <laughs> more than
1: anyone now is he has like one of the best Twitter feeds, Blaine Capatch.
2: I don't know you who guys, that is.
1: You guys got to follow Blaine Capatch. He's All an right. amazing joke writer. He's I an amazing. Him. He'll make you laugh five times a day.
2: Blaine yeah that's awesome what, what what was it about the alternative scene that you didn't like in the beginning
1: well because they were all my age and they wouldn't let me in they'd be uh, you know what i mean like yeah. i'd be like you bitches can only work three cities in this whole country and i'm out there <laughs> humping my ass and you're up there with no you know i had a whole thing you know because they were all like you're the from the old guard i'd be like bitch oh. we're the same age you know <laughs> they were totally right they, they it needed to be changed yeah I, it was a it was a shitty cup of coffee to drink on that man
2: I know, know I, I, mean? I know what you mean it is kind of like it is kind of like that it depends on who you hang out with because it's still this i mean there's no like i mean there is kind of like an alt scene but there's a lot of scenes that just kind of blend together or whatever at this point and it is kind of funny because if you hang out with certain people they automatically either have a stigma against you or they think that you're you know because i got moved i i did uh i i didn't do bringers for very long and because of that i wasn't around a lot of the younger comics that i was i should have been around i should have been you know whatever but i got taken out on the road by a headliner early on and then i got pat you know I, I worked through doing that kind of stuff because I got better on the road and then came back so I didn't have to do any bringer shit and then from that point on I was kind of like ostracized from the group who had to still bring like 15 people and on one hand I was like fuck you I don't want to bring 15 of my f- stupid friends to this thing or whatever and right. then, but I feel like I missed out on stuff sometimes
1: yeah because they all became big writers yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: you
1: know I mean? and I'm still humping the clubs. <laughs> they showed me.
0: <laughs> that's fucking
2: hilarious. Oh, that's the best that's the best line on this podcast so far. Not this one. I mean all of them. <laughs> Imagine if I said that about this one. Best line so far the whole hour. Uh no, of all the podcasts. Well, I don't I you've you've been it's been so great to talk to you. I wish we had you know like, like if you want to stay, you can stay. But if not, I just want you to know it's been an hour and ten minutes I've kept you.
1: Wow. I think people probably have had enough of me, but you guys are <laughs> awesome. Does Thank this you. gentleman over here never talk? This guy he, over
2: here? Me, up he, here? No, I can yeah, he talks a lot. He ta- he'll he'll chime in whenever he's uh, whenever he feels like chiming in. I don't know. When he, say <laughs> whenever he feels like chiming in. No, yeah, no, I do talk a lot. But usually, he does. When John's on a roll, I let him go. I let him go, and I, I'm just Fair enjoying enough. it. I'm enjoying everything. The only question I had for you before you go, do you speak numerous languages, like from growing up as an army brat?
1: I speak a little bit of German. That's okay. about it. That's fine. Which is not helpful anywhere. <laughs> you know, it doesn't get to anything not in you, a social setting nothing. right
0: <laughs> no
2: my stepdad was over in germany when he was in uh in like vietnam like stationed out there or whatever and every now and then he would scream something in german and i would just be like that's frightening i don't know what you just said but i am legitimately terrified
1: <laughs> here's the thing like whenever you go on vacation somewhere outside the country and you and you hear someone talking a foreign language and you're like "Ooh." They're always German. <laughs> German.
2: Oh, God. Oh, I have one more question before you go. I ask everybody this. So, uh, if you had one piece of advice to give yourself, your younger self, what would it be?
1: Oh, trust yourself. Oh,
2: that's very trust nice. Yourself. That
1: was so trust sweet. Yourself. That was, yeah. yeah. Well, because, uh particularly in comedy, but I think this applies to anything uh, that you choose to do. Uh, I went through this phase as Mm -hmm. a young person where uh, I didn't, I was always questioning, is this what I'm meant to do? Maybe I should Mm -hmm. be doing something else. Am I meant to do this? And then when I went away from comedy and I came back, it was like, (sighs) Yes, this is what I meant to do. So I, so trust yourself when you know cuz every experience counts. You know? Yeah. So trust yourself.
2: I love that. Thank you so much. And thanks for thanks for coming on. It's nice to meet you virtually. Thank Hopefully you I'll get to me. do it in person. Yes.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you will. Very nice to meet you. Man, yep. that says nothing. <laughs> Such a
2: pleasure. I promise next time you're on, I'm going to do nothing okay. with talk. <laughs>
1: You guys are awesome. Thank you so very much.
0: Dystopia Tonight.